When it comes to Parshat Shoftim, the Parsha that we read this morning that has to do with matters of judges and magistrates and law and justice, one doesn't have to look very far to find Chomer, to find content for a sermon. Um, I want to thank the state of Georgia <laughs> for making it a little bit easy for me by bringing down uh, Donald Trump's fourth indictment to the second one relating to the events January 6th and um, his attempts to maintain the presidency. Uh, I want to thank Bibi Netanyahu and his current co coalition um, for adding their Homer to the discussion as well. Um, every day you look in the Israeli paper today, you find something else that relates to the issue of justice and the judicial reform controversies that are going on in Israel. This week, it happens to be that the Haredi parties, the ultra-religious parties, have decided that perhaps the judicial reform controversy is going too far and they're concerned about the tearing apart of Israeli society. So in their good graces, they have offered to push the rest of the judicial overhaul on hold only after they get their draft legislation through the Knesset so that Haredi um, young men do not need to serve in the army and rather can spend all day every day studying in their yeshivot. It was a very kind thing of them to offer. Right? Um, we'll do something for the rest of society and you'll continue to pay for us to not contribute to society. Um, and then, of course, I have to stop our friend uh, Justice, I have to thank rather our friend Justice uh, Rosie Abella for publishing a really important opinion piece in the Washington Post, which kind of brings all of these issues of justice that are taking place in our society today into sharp focus. Um, she wrote uh, a column that was adapted from her speech when she received the 2023 Ruth Bader Ginsburg Medal of Honor from the World Jurist Association. And in this op-ed, she writes about the regressive climate in which we find ourselves vis-a-vis -vis the law, especially the judiciary. She writes, the critics call the good news of an independent judiciary the bad news of judicial autocracy. They call women and minorities seeking the right to be free from dis discrimination special interest groups seeking to jump the queue. They call efforts to reverse discrimination, reverse discrimination. They say courts should only interpret, not make law, thereby ignoring the entire history of common law. They call the advocates for diversity biased and defenders of social stagnation impartial. They prefer ideology to ideas, replacing exquisite demographic choreography of checks and balances with, myopic, with the myopic march of majoritarianism. Wow. And then she says, we need to put justice back in charge. And to do that, we need to put compassion back into the service of law and law in the service of humanity. We need the rule of justice, she says, not just the rule of law, 
Otherwise, what's the point of law, of lawyers? What good is the rule of law, she asks, if there's no justice? And to make justice happen, we can never forget how the world looks to those who are vulnerable. And if you don't know Rosie's story about being born in a DP camp and coming here after the war and her father not able to work as a lawyer and passing before he could see the progress and success and the impact that she has had not only on Canada as a member of our Supreme Court, but on the world for her um, work in human rights and in feminism, look her up. Because hers is a reminder constantly for her and for all of us of the need to take care of those who are vulnerable in our society. And Rosie didn't just write these words on a, a on, on the paper or in the Washington Post, she spent the last year at Harvard Law School as a visiting professor. One of the courses she taught was called Law and Literature. And when I asked her why she was teaching such a course and what she hoped to accomplish, her answer was exactly what she wrote in this opinion piece. It's through the study of literature that one learns to see the lens of humanity and will learn minimally, hopefully, learn minimally compassion and maximally how to be empathetic. And law and literature, by bringing them together, she hoped to teach future lawyers, future jurists, future people involved in the process of justice. She hoped to teach them to never forget or lose sight of humanity and they're vulnerable in our midst. Now for us as Jews, we don't have to go any further than this morning's Torah reading to see how that concept is so front and center within our religious consciousness and well-being. In fact, the system that we've created for living a meaningful Jewish life we call halakha. And it gets translated as Jewish law because it is a system that ultimately requires responsibility and obligation and commitment. And if you have an obligation to do something, then the logical question is, what am I required to do and how do I do it? And the way in which that developed in our system as well as in other systems, but has contributed greatly to the entire experiment of Western civilization is through a legal system. But the word halakha itself does not mean law. That's the word mishpat, from which the word shoftim, the Parsha's name, comes from. Halakha comes from the Hebrew word lalechet, which means to walk, to go. It's a journey, not a destination. And if you imagine what it means to go on a journey, it means that wherever you are and whenever you are, the experiences of that journey have to input and react to the circumstances in which you're trying to live and tease out what is ultimately just in the world in which we live. Now the Parsha um, starts off in the very beginning. Panim, Ki Ya'aver Ene Chachamim. 
It starts off by an, uh, by a call, a, a, a value to the nature of, of judges, imploring them that they should not judge unfairly. You should show no partiality, should not take bribes, for bribes blind the eyes of the discerning and upset the plea of the just. It's the first or second sentence of the Parsha this morning. An ancient concept that we're still grappling with and struggling with in our own time. And for the Torah and for the rabbis that followed, it's not enough for the judges, by the way, to just know Torah. The rabbis, the judges, had to be steeped in the matters of their time. They needed to know medicine, accounting, economics, history, sociology. Though psychology was not a field then, understanding human condition and human circumstance was essential in order to fulfill this commandment from the Torah. And of course, the next verse is the famous Tzedek Tzedek Tirdof, justice, justice you shall pursue that you may thrive and occupy the land that Adonai, your God, is giving you. You have to remember that Deuteronomy is being shared with the people of Israel as they're about to enter the land. One of its purposes is to set up a system by which the people will thrive in the land. And that thriving comes through the, the acquirement of justice. Now the rabbis ask, why is the word tzedek repeated? Torah, nothing in Torah is superfluous. Every word has to have a meaning. And amongst the most common and important answers is that of Rabbi Simcha Bunim, who said that the repetition of tzedek, tzedek terdof, of justice, justice shall you pursue, is that justice must be pursued in just ways. The means justify the end, not the other way around. Also in the Parsha, Vehaya Kishivto Al Kisei Mamlachto, that when the king is seated on his royal throne, Vikatavlo et Mishne Hatara Hazot, he shall write for himself this Torah, Al Sefer Melifnea Koanim Al Vi'im. It shall be for him a scroll um, by his side um, and read to him by the uh, Livi'im and the priests on a regular basis. In other words, the king, the ruler, has to have the Torah at his side and has to constantly be referring to it in order to make sure that the decisions in that time frame that he made would be decisions that were based on the values of Torah and not just on the whim of the fact that he had the authority to rule. Deuteronomy, in the first chapter, reminds us of the importance of fairness. What Elliot, Rabbi Elliot Dorf, who writes in one of the essays in the back of the Eitzchayim Chumash, by the way, there are 12 essays in the back of the Eitzchayim Chumash only on the topic of the Bible and law. 12 different essays. You want to know how important this concept it is? Go take a look at these 12 essays. Elliot Dorff's essay is entitled Justice. 
Rabbi Dorf was my teacher. I know he was um, Rabbi Friar Botzen's teacher as well. He probably taught Rav Baruch at some point in time in his career as well. Um, rabbi Dorf not only is a rabbi and was head of the Jewish Law of, uh, Committee of Jewish Law and Standards of the Rabbinical Assembly, he also taught legal philosophy at UCLA's medical school. And his essay of justice is very important. He talks about the, the difference between substantive justice and procedural justice. Procedural justice has to do with um, the placement of courts in convenient locations, and substantive justice has to do with prohibition against bribes and prejudice and the outcome of justice on creating a just society. And what Rabbi Dorf points out which is so true in the tradition, in, the, in our tradition, is that both of them, by linking them, substantive and procedural justice, the Torah indicates its awareness that the two are intertwined, that procedure affects substance, and substance demands certain procedures, such as a demand for fairness, that the magistrates, at their time, hear out your fellow Israelites and decide justly between one party and the other, be it a fellow Israelite and note or a stranger or the gear that lives amongst you. Substantive justice stresses equality of all human beings and their right to equal protection under the law. And that's what this mitzvah in the Torah is demanding. Not just for the people that are part of your tribe, or your religious tradition, but for all people, including and especially the ger amongst you, the stranger. And later in Deuteronomy, we learn, Lo tateb mishpat ger yatom, velo tachavol beged almana. You shall not subvert the rights of the stranger or the fatherless. You shall not take a widow's garment in pawn. For the Torah, the vulnerable were represented by the, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, and the poor spelled out specifically our obligations to take care of the vulnerable. And that, of course, is what Justice Abella spoke about as well when she said, to make justice happen, we can never forget how the world looks to those who are vulnerable. And no one, she writes, with, that, with this history of vulnerability, especially we as Jews who have been in dispersion for so long and suffered at the hands of the Nazis in the Holocaust and continue to feel the wrath of anti-Semitism at a rate unproportional to any other minority within the world. No one who, with this history, she writes, does not feel that we have a particular duty to wear our identities with pride and to promise our children that we will do everything humanly possible to keep the world safer for them than it was for their grandparents. A world where all children, regardless of race, color, religion, or gender can wear their identity with dignity, with pride, and in peace. It's as if Rosie was reading this morning's Torah reading when she wrote those words. And finally, let me just point out that Rabbi Dorf reminds us, as Justice Abella does, that for the rabbis, for our tradition, Justice can never be captured totally in law. The rabbis write in a midrash that there can be, one can be a scoundrel with the limits of the law or interpreted differently. 
Nevel Bershut Torah, one can even be a scoundrel within the Torah. It's not enough just to follow the letter of the law. Justice requires context of humanity. Don't take my word for it. The Talmud and Baba Mitzia cites a source for going beyond the letter of the law and the performance of mitzvot. Tanu, Tani Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef taught in a Baraita with regard to the verse, and you shall teach them the statutes of the laws, and they shall show them the path wherein they walk and the action that they must perform. That's from Exodus. The Baraita parses the various directives that are embedded in that verse. And you shall teach them, that is referring to the structure of their livelihood. Teach the Jewish people trade so they can earn a living. The path, that's referring to acts of kindness, to chesed. They shall walk, that's referring to visiting the ill, bikor cholim, wherein refers to burial. And the action, that is referring to acting in accordance with the letter of the law that they must perform according to the rabbis, that is referring to acting beyond the letter of the law. Moral duties sometimes require reshaping the law so that in each new age, it can continue to be the best approximation of justice. Or as Rosie Abella said it, that's common law. That's common law. For us, as Jews, justice in the Torah is a divine imperative. In our tradition, we believe that the very existence of the world depends upon justice. And just as God is a just God, so too must we be just. And it's based on that principle that Abraham not only had the chutzpah, but the obligation to challenge God when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. It's necessary also for holiness. As Rabbi S.R. Hirsch put it, the pursuit of justice is Israel's greatest task in order that its physical and political existence may be assured. Kenya Hiratzon. May it only be so.